We had, last week we had we finished up with the manna and then all the ways that God was was providing for the children of Israel as they were going to Mount Horeb. So in this, uh, it takes about three months for them to go these 250, almost 300 miles, which is not not too bad when it's how many people? Two million people moving. What? That's just the men. Oh, I thought that was all of them together. No, they just counted the men. Oh. Count the kids oh, okay. That that was the standard. That's Still right. A lot. But I thought that it was I thought that the number that was listed was lower and that when you add everybody all together. When you add together the, the Egyptians that are following them and people from other nations that came out of Egypt at the same time and says, I want some I want whatever they've gotten is following after them. They're, so they're and it, however many people it is, whether it's two million or five million, at moving three months moving that number of people is pretty uh, is pretty good. <coughs> So that it, we're at chapter 19 right now. God's been providing them with manna and with quail and water from the rock and, and all those things. Chapter 19. Oh, okay. So in the third month after the children of Israel, third month after the children of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt on the same day, they came to the wilderness of Sinai. Um, so at the tip of the Sinai Peninsula, it's a, you know, a roughly long triangular shape, the same back then as it is now. Uh, that was about... Uh, That was about 3,500 years ago, 3,500 years ago, but it's still the same. It, it roughly looks like it did then. They're in the wilderness of Sinai, down on the tip of that peninsula. For they had departed from Rephidim, had come to the wilderness of Sinai, and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. Negev is the word. And in, uh, in Egypt, they still call it the Negev, which is a Hebrew name for it, which is funny. Uh, they camp before the mountain. The mountain is either Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. And Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Bore you on eagles' wings. What does that mean? Several things I want to talk about here. For one thing, they call them the house of Jacob, the children of Israel. The house of Jacob talks about just the family line. But children of Israel is a little bit different. It's talking about them as a nation of God's, God's people. He says, I bore you on eagle's wings. What's, what, what would be the difference between that and chicken wings? Or turkey wings, yes. 91st Psalms, you know, talks about eagles. Psalm 91. Psalm 91, you know. And then, then it also talks about, and Solomon, the wonders of the world. Right. It talks about the eagles going in the air. But what does an Plus, eagle, but what does an eagle do that's different from what other birds do? They bore you on eagles' wings. They soar. They don't put the effort into it. Okay. They are supernaturally taken care of as opposed to doing it on your own. That's, they fly above the storm. Uh, that's, okay, that's good. Is that the, the wind that God provides carries the eagle along. They don't exert energy like other birds do. And you say, what? By the storm, they just... Okay. There is, there is a story that eagles actually will put their 
eaglets, their baby birds, on their back and carry them. And carry them up high. And, um, and that's one of the things they do to teach them to fly. That, and so that's why it's, that's one of the things that makes it very different from anything well, it's a, else. It's a part of protection. And even Jesus, when he was looking, he said that he, like a chick, he, yes, babies looking at Israel. Of course, a chicken does not. that yes, too. They protect uh, them. All birds will put those under there. Eagle's wings is a different, yeah. is a different kind yeah. of thing. Um, you know, they talked about the the national bird was going to be the turkey. Yeah, have mm. mercy. <laughs> loses a lot in the translation. Yes, I mean, I like turkeys. I enjoy them a whole lot. But it loses a lot with the majesty <laughs> yeah. of an eagle and what all that means. And an eagle has been used for thousands of years. I mean, that the Roman the Roman legions, an eagle was a big thing in... And what they did. So anyway, he says, uh, how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, uh, now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, if, if, if is a big thing. Jeff, what does if and then mean for computer programmers? This happens... And this one happens. Yes. Yep. And it in computer programming, it is the it major programming thing. It is the it's the hinge that so many things work on. If then that if something is true, then this will happen or this will be true or whatever. So now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. Then you shall be a then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. This is big. Above all people, for all the earth is mine. So the blessing that was that was at at the dispense, was dispensed to Israel was dependent on them. If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. That's big. So this covenant, the Mosaic covenant that's laid out here, if, you will, if you'll obey the rules, basically is what it says. Um, and then God's going to lay out what all the rules are. He's going to lay them out in this, like an, a synopsis kind of, which is the Ten Commandments. And then he lays, them out, lays out the rules in an order that's very unique for the day that it came. Um, you'll be my special treasure. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So when he told Abraham, he said, all the world is going to be blessed for you, through you. But, but that, that didn't exactly happen. But he's telling, he's extending that further with the children of Israel saying, you're going to be the priest. You're going to be my priest in this world. How did they do at that? Because in Jesus' day, he was telling them, you're a, you're a bunch of vipers. Uh, uh, he said, Jesus said, you've actually stood in the way of people getting to God. Well, this was his plan from the beginning. And of course, it came through Jesus Christ. But this was his plan for Israel. Right. If they had obeyed. If then. Yeah. And, but... I don't think that they were absolved of the responsibility to have been that all along, even though it was going to be perfected yeah. in Jesus. God, I believe God's plan was for them to do a better job than they did, yeah. because what they were the keepers of the oracles of God, but they kept them all to themselves, like Gollum. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, since we're talking about the Lord of the Rings, Smeagol, that kept the ring for himself, my precious, and he kept it away from anybody else, and y'all don't know what I'm talking about, but, we don't know. but that, that ring, that, but the children of Israel, the priests of the Hebrew people kept it from them. Yeah. Yeah. No better off are some religions who have done, uh, some so-called Christian religions who have done the same thing. They kept their people away from the word and et cetera, et cetera. So 
You shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. God said, tell them that stuff. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people. So, uh, oh, I've left something out. You shall be, okay, so you shall be one, a special treasure to me. If you, if you do these things, then you will be one, a special treasure above all people. For all the earth is mine. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is going to mean something a few chapters onward. All the earth is mine. So even though you've been exposed to these other gods while you were in Egypt and, and, and you've seen maybe some connection with blessing that comes from those or something, the problem is all the earth is mine. I am God over everything. Uh, and only through me will you really fulfill what your promise is. You shall be to me a two kingdom of priests and three a holy nation. I don't think they understood covenant. And we don't understand it. Completely. Like we That's true. Because when people get married, it's a covenant. That's right. It's not a contract. That's right. So, yeah. It's not a promise, just like other things. Yeah. It's a blood you know, contract, a blood covenant. I, in counseling with people, we've talked about that and that covenant. And they say, well, you know, I made a promise, so I can't get divorced. Yeah, but everything you do in the rest of the relationship destroys your marriage. Yeah. It, yeah. And, you, and you think just keeping your promise and not getting divorced is all there is to it? No. It, there's, there's things that you do when you're in covenant with somebody and how you do them, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, so, so he called together the elders of people and, and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded. Then all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. But they are not thinking about it. Just, I mean, basically they're saying, yeah, whatever you say. But they're not really considering all that with, with the blessings comes responsibility and a, circu a circular kind of relationship. All the Lord's spoken will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. Now, this is funny what, what happens here. He, so he brings back, he said, they said they're all good. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I come to you in the thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you. So it, the, whatever the cloud was and the pillar of fire, that's, that's happening. And the people have already associated that for three months with the presence of God. And so God is saying, I'm going to come in that cloud the same way I have before. So that the, so that, and people will see that cloud when, when we talk together and they'll know that it's me that's talking to you and believe you forever. So Moses told the words of the people to the Lord. So is everything good? No. God said, when I speak to you, uh, they'll know that you're with me whenever I speak to you and they will believe you forever. Don't you think that's what Moses really wanted the whole time? When he, was, when he was standing before the burning bush and he said, how, how are they going to know? That, tell me your name or something. You know, how are they going to know? How are the people going to believe me? And he's, God's finally given that. They're going to know now because every time I talk to you, I'm going to talk to you from the cloud. Then the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their clothes. Consecrate. That word is karas. And it means to prepare them, to set apart, to hallow them. Uh, all of those words basically mean the same thing. And sometimes it says, instead of consecrate, it will say sanctify. It may say that in your, in your Bibles. Uh, but, but that means that they're set aside. Something special is happening. So you're going to prepare in such a way for this special occurrence of the thing. Uh, and let them... Let them wash their hands. Let them be ready for the third day. So they're taking three days of preparation. That's a third day thing again. How many times in our Bible does it talk about a third day? But that's a special preparation time 
to prepare for whatever God's going to do. And I mean, they're supposed to be in this special mindset. For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon the Mount, uh, upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. You shall set bounds for the people all around saying, take heed to yourselves that you do not go up to the mountain or even touch its base. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. What's the picture that you have of that? If you the touch the mountain, you're going to be put to death. What? The Ark of the Covenant. Okay, yeah, that's one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Be put to death. Oh, that you'll surely die. Um, my picture, when, I, when I, I remember first reading this and being kind of aware of it, the picture that I asked was, oh, if you touch it, boom, you're dead. Just like the Ark of the Covenant. That if, But it says you will be put to death. You would be executed if you touch the mountain. Um, that means that if anybody touches the mountain, somebody's going to have to go out and kill them. Yeah, that's what it says. Uh, Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. Not a hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot with an arrow, whether man or beast. Even if the dog goes up there, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near to the mountain. Why is the reason for, what's the reason for, for all of this? I mean, what's the big deal? Why does God care about whether or not, whether the people, I mean, you know, it's like, eh, I'm just, I touched the mountain. Why does God care? David? One man's opinion. Okay. I'm going I am Yahweh. Yeah. The old covenant. When he spoke and told those people whatever guideline, rule. Right. He wasn't saying it just to be saying it. He meant it. That's why the Baptists and the other denominations, they don't see these great miracles that they had in the Old Testament. People, heathens, non-believers, they say, well, you know, if your God's so darn big, how come this happened to the tornadoes and the floods and the famines? They don't see that supernatural event. God did those supernatural events with the children of Israel during their 40 years in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. They had a cloud and the sun that blocked it so they didn't have heat strokes. It fired at night. Yeah, no heat strokes. Their shoes didn't wear out, all the things. Their shoes didn't wear out, he fed them. Right. And then when he asked one little thing, don't touch his mouth because it's holy. It right. doesn't have to be that way. Amen. <clears throat> there are a lot of things that God just says, this is the way I, I'm, I'm doing it like this, and I want you to obey it. Well, I used to tell my children, you do it because I said so. Well. <laughs> it's the same thing. And. And back back then, we didn't question it either. Yeah, that's true. You better not question it. There are are things that God makes them a certain way, and he intends for them to be that way. And I'm not not wanting to over-spiritualize this or anything, but that was the mountain of God. It was God's mountain. And so you, you treat it the way, whatever he says, that's how you do it. Because this is God's mountain. There are things that, there are other things about, about God's creation that he gets to say how it is. He, he gets to say what life is and whether or not you can take that life. And so all of this stuff about what I do with my body and all that stuff. is nonsense. It is nonsense. That's, it, these bodies are God's workmanship. Yeah. Marriage itself, God made marriage, he defined it, and if you, I, I, 
And there's, there's a circle drawn around it about what it is and what it's not. And there's a sacredness. There's a mystery that happens according to Scripture. There's a, that a husband and wife become one flesh, and that's a great mystery in Ephesians that God makes that what, what it is. And we don't get to say, well, I think I'd rather do it like this. Mm-hmm. But how many? The ultimate thing was everything for our good, because he so loved us. Right. And that these these patterns that we're seeing even here is to ultimately bring us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Ultimately, that's right. But how often do we tell our kids this is for your good, Good. and they still do something wrong? But they this one is without understanding. A lot of those other things, there's reasons behind it, understanding. He doesn't get one on this one. It's kind of like the difference between a, uh, no, a clean day and a, and a day made holy. Why was why was Sabbath made holy? All the other days were made perfect. There's nothing wrong with all the clean, perfect days. Mm-hmm. This one is holy. holy. Why? Right. It's because. Right. There's no answer because it said so. Same thing on the other. There's right. no reasonable, logical reason to put you know, into this. Right. You know, this command, except he's just showing them there's some things that are clean and there's some things that are holy. Yeah. Right. You can be clean here, but you're not clean enough to touch this holiness. Right. Which well, later why, on, there's going to be the two mountains. Well, that's why it killed them. Right. Later on, there's going to be two mountains, one of the blessings and one of the cursings. Okay. In Deuteronomy. And so I don't know, was he preparing them for that time? Okay. Well, he, t- he did say that there's two trees in the center of the garden. Don't touch them. <laughs> um, don't, or you can't eat of it. Eve's the one that said don't touch them. Okay, so this is the mountain. And uh, he, don't, they, sh- uh, when the trumpet sounds long, they shall come near the mountain, but they won't touch it. Come near the mountain. Remember, they're supposed to come near the mountain. They're supposed to gather around the mountain, and then they're supposed to wait there. Okay. Could he also, I mean, I know he knows everybody's heart, and he knew oh. who would obey and who would not, oh. but could he have just been looking for obedience? Yeah. I mean, we train kids that way. That's what I do with you, but I never get it. Okay. So he, Moses went down from the mountain of the people, and, and Zach, I better not turn my back on you, huh? Uh, Moses went down from the mountain to the people and sanctified the people, and they washed their clothes. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not come near your wives. So they're also supposed to maintain that kind of cleanliness. If you look over in Leviticus, there's a lot of rules about husband and wife stuff and all that. Then it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunderings and lightnings. It's getting ready to happen. And the, the clouds starting to come and a thick cloud on the mountain, and the sound of the trumpet was very loud. I don't know if they blew a trumpet or God made the sound of the trumpet. But it doesn't say. So that the, all the people who were in the camp trembled. They're afraid. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Period. Now, Mount Sinai was completely in smoke, the whole mountain, and I'm... I think that there was smoke down to where that line was at the bottom of the mountain that told where they weren't supposed to go because the Lord descended upon it in fire. So I don't know if anything was burning up or if it was like the burning bush that didn't burn, but it's like there's a fire. It's smoke ascended like the smoke (laughs) of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain and Moses went up. I'm not sure because there's 11 chapters of of stuff that's apparently happening on the mountain, but there's kind of an up and down thing going on here now. Do you think it's possible that they, you can't see God, but they could see this? They could see the, yes. And they, and, and Moses was the one that, of course, he was conversing with, but they could see. Yes. Because people talk to you, well, you can't see God. 
Well, they could see the effects yes, that God was yes. creating so them that represented God, just he, like the fire and the He pillar. wanted them to know that he's God. Right. And par- apparently part of the reason was to confirm who Moses was. Well, that's true, yeah. too. He said, so they'll believe you when you yeah. say stuff. And the Lord, why? Why, is it, why are they going to need to believe him? Well, God already knows what's going to happen for the next 40 years. And Moses is going to have to be the kind of leader that those people will follow without question. So, um, so Moses went up, and the Lord said to Moses, "So Moses goes up, and the, and he's I've already had three days of preparation, and God says to him, "I need you to go down and warn the people, lest they break through to gaze at the Lord, and many of." Uh, and then many of them will perish. Also, let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. But Moses said to the Lord, this is funny. He says, well, they can't come up to the mountain because uh, you warned us. You already told us. Don't, don't get on the mountain saying, set bounds around the mountain and consecrate it. <laughs> I, that's just funny to me. No, it's okay, God. I already took care of that. I've already told them, just like you told me, and so it's all good. God knew what was going to happen. I mean, he's telling him for a reason. No, I need you to go back down there and tell him again. Uh, Lord said to him, away, get down and then come up, you and Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and he spoke to them again. So he tells them the same, basically the same thing over again, right? It's just a new leader doesn't understand. They're not going to get it. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Lord is the word is repetitious because He wants us to get it. Just like <clears throat> the first and second chapter of Genesis, He tells what He did, and then He goes over it again. Yes, that's right. And then Paul says, you know, it's it's good for me to repeat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have to repeat to our children, or did? I was just getting ready to say, Yvonne. God is when Jesus when Jesus said called God a Father. He knew how God what that relationship was, and we have this fearful kind of idea of God in a lot of ways. I'm telling you, when I grew up, I pictured God being this grand, a mean grandpa, kind of uh, waiting for you to smack you. With a fly swatter. That's the picture that I had. But God, Jesus said, no, he's just a father. He's a father. And just like a father, he has to tell his kids over and over. I said, don't touch it. Don't touch it. Don't stop. Stop touching it. Don't touch it. Stop touching it. Because <laughs> that's basically what he does here. He says, yeah. Yeah. Right, tell, tell him not to do this. Okay, go tell him again. Opposite. Yeah. <laughs> we want to do the opposite. <laughs> that's right. We can't touch it. What can I touch it? When he he says something, Yahweh in the Old Covenant, one of those things that he said, he told that young priest in the Bible to go to a certain town, and the old priest told him no. Oh, yeah. Right. And he was killed. So he did. And then on his way, the lion killed him. Yes. And left his donkey alive. Yeah. This is very similar to don't go up the mountain. Right. Just do the what I said. And then he tells him, okay, you can go up the mountain. But did he say, I've changed my mind? No. No. They were... Well, to stay at the bottom of the mountain. Yes. Because that young priest is said to that old priest. Yeah, until God tells me. Until yeah. God tells me, I'm going to where I'm supposed to go. How many times have we let other people influence yes. us, yeah. th- though? I mean, <clears throat> I, I've, I've always thought that was kind of that particular story. <clears throat> I, that story fascinates me. Um, and Hunt... When King Josiah comes along later, he says, who's buried here? Oh, we can't do that. That's the, the two men. Because when that, the, the, the prophet in the northern tribes said, 
told him the wrong thing. He said, man, I feel really bad about this. I'm going to bury him in my tomb. And then when I'm dead, you bury me in the tomb. And then when, so when King Josiah comes along, that's the only tomb that he didn't, didn't dig it all up and grind the bones to dust because it was sacrificing. I mean, he was destroying all the high places, and, but he left that one alone. It's a fascinating story. Anyway, I, it, yes, God says this is the way it is, and until he changes it, you better not change your, change your deal. So God spoke these words, and this is the, here's the Ten Commandments. We're all familiar with them. God spoke these words, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of bondage. Verse 3 is the first commandment. There's going to be 10 of them here, that, and we're familiar with them. You shall have no other gods before me. What does that mean? There's a one God. That's all there is. You can't have a God after you either. Now, God, <clears throat> some of the ways that we think about these things are reinterpreted in the New Testament and by Jesus, and, and we'll, we'll mention that here in a second. Okay, so no, no extra gods, just one God. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, a graven image. Uh, um, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that's in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. Does that say God's going to curse the children for generations? No, it does not. And it's clear in the, in the rest of the Bible that God does not visit the sins of the fathers on their children. It says he, he, he says they will, the iniquity will have consequences that last for generations. And we know that to be true. Um, I mean, we see people that are experiencing that all the time. But if you just do, if you just keep my commandments, it'll all be good. You shall, okay, grave an image. That means don't carve anything. Don't make birds because where they came from, Egypt, and it's going to stay on their mind. In, in Egypt, they had everything under, they had fish, birds, dogs, cats, everything in the world that they were worshiping. And God knew that if they just start carving something, they're going to eventually turn it into something that they're going to worship, that they, they're going to want to make a representation. I mean, and it's happened throughout all time, is that, that you, want, you want to see God. You want to make something to look at. You want something to bow down to. But God said, ain't, ain't going to have it. Not, not going to have it. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God uh, in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. What does that, that mean? No cussing? No, that means well, yeah. not agreeing with the word. Okay. Yeah. If you don't agree with the word, you're taking his name in vain. Okay. Also, you're right. I took his name in vain in the military. I'm sorry that I did. But that was taking his name in vain by pronouncing it over individuals and things and circumstances and situations that God had nothing to do with. Well, and as a curse. It was a vain statement do that. Well, it's a vain usage of it. The word, the word there, the word. word there is a, a, for a common purpose, and it it that it's the way that a chamber pot was referred to. Mm. Use it for a common, plain, menial purpose. Well, God which, is not the dammer. Well, that's true. Yeah, he's not the damn right. So if people understand that they're taking his name in vain and the results of it. But that's a very narrow yeah. version yeah. of taking it in yeah. vain. Yeah. If you just say, oh, my God, yeah. that's, using that's using his name in, in a vain way. Yes. And uh, for 
you're not talking to to him or about him somewhere. I think anything outside of that. Is That's right. Uh, if you, it's like it's like. Well, it's, it's going like, back to your message Sunday about words. Okay. Because words, we declare words over us. And people today, I heard a woman talk about she's going to the bathroom and she said, well, she'd have to take an Alka-Seltzer when we, she got home because she was going to eat a burrito, a hot burrito. So she was declaring <laughs> That already, she was going to get sick. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And that happens all the time. Yeah. But... It's like taking something special like the, your wedding chalice or something like that and using it for a toilet. Yeah. That's the picture that's drawn of the word that is used for using his name in vain, using it for a vain purpose, yeah. using it as a cuss word or even using it just as a, well, okay, if I say... Okay, and I don't want to. I don't want to pick on this, but how many times have you heard people say, "Father God, we just want to ask you for your forgiveness," and "Father God this," and "Father God that," and "Father God this," and "Father God that," and they're basically just saying, kind of, "Father God" is their way of saying, "Uh." Yeah. It's just kind of a, that, and that's a vain repetition, and that's a violation of this commandment is to use it in a way that's not, I mean, you're not talking to God. You're just saying, God, I mean, you're just saying, uh, over and over. Uh, uh, what's the next thing I want to say? And, but you're using the word Father God because it flows. They came out of culture, like you said, where they deified animals. Okay. statues. Right. Also, they <clears throat> chanted. If you go overseas and see those Arabs that they've got, right? What we call a rosary, they have what they call a prayer bead that they mm -hmm. wear around their wrist, and they can't keep count of it by going over and over. Well, they, we, we, they used to haggle at the markets that they had them on, uh -huh. and they right. And uh, I had a joke that they were worry beads. Well, and they call them that, too, yeah. Because when they had problems, they break out those beads. Well, and they'd worry those beads while they're worrying. Um, okay, so it's so taking his name in vain is not just using it as a cuss word. It's using it as a, just a, a plain way. Now, the, the Jews went so far that they didn't ever say his name. Yeah, They never said the word... We say Yahweh now, Yahweh, or whatever, but we don't even know what the vowel sounds were because they did not use vowels in the Hebrew. They only wrote down, like when you see that thing, if you can read this, but it's just F Y C N R D. If you, but we all know it means if you can read this, that's the way the Hebrew language was. They didn't have vowels. So we know that God's name was Y-H-W-H, but we don't even know what the vowels were. They could be all kinds of things. But that's how far they took it. They bent over backwards to obey some of the rules and then didn't obey any of the other, some of the other rules. They didn't obey them in any kind of way or made a loophole, a way that they could get around obeying them. So he says, <clears throat> Don't take the Lord's name in vain. That's um, that's the third, and then the fourth is the Sabbath, and this is a kind of a in between one. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male servant nor your female. You can't even get let your servants work, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. Nobody works. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed <coughs> it. Stop right there. Um, so those first four, we call those the vertical commandments, the things that deal between us and God. But that, that 
fourth commandment about the Sabbath, it's, it's weird because it's not just God. It's a transitional one about, about the doing things God's way, and God rested on that sixth day, but it's also about how we treat each other. We can't even make our servants work on that day. We need to take care of ourselves by not working. So there's a the vertical and horizontal component to it. But and do y'all, <laughs> most people here are old enough to remember that in the '60s, in the early '60s, people didn't work on Sunday. They did not work on Sundays. Stores weren't open, restaurants weren't open, nobody worked on Sunday still as late as the 1960s. And even in the 1970s, um, they had blue, in Texas, they had blue laws. Did y'all have those here in Oklahoma? Yeah, they're called. The what? Okay, we had blue laws where you could buy certain things, like you could buy diapers or well, yeah, you could buy diapers, you could buy emergency type things, you could buy those on Sunday, but you couldn't buy everything. Couldn't buy cigarettes, couldn't buy beer. You, I don't. Still like that, Kansas. It, it is still like that in Texas. You, they, they still cover the beer in some places on Sunday. Anyway, how far we come from, from? I mean, how just <clears throat> we talk about not being a Christian nation. Fit. 60 years ago, we were. We, we acquiesced to so many of these things that we don't now. So, okay, the, uh, the seventh day, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother. This is weird. Okay, the next, the six commandments that are left are, are unusual because they're just, they just state the facts. And, and they say, don't do this. This one is different because it says don't honor your father and your mother. It's the positive statement of it. And it also tells what comes if you do, the, the reward for it. That your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. That's weird. It's, a, a, it's very different. Look at the rest of them. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Those, those four right there just state it. That's they just say, don't do this. Um, interesting, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. Both of those Jesus talks about in the, in the uh, Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. Thank you. Sermon on the Mount, he talks about those things. But he reinterprets it. He says about, about murder, he says, you know, you've heard it said, you shall not murder. But I tell you, if you just... If you have a bad attitude towards somebody, if you just call them stupid, if you hurt their spirit, you're, you're guilty of murder. He said, adultery, you've heard it said, but I say to you, if you just look with lust on a, on a woman, you're committing adultery, and so on and so forth. Uh, 17, you shall not, and this is the last, the 10th commandment, it's the sixth of the person-to-person -person ones, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Paul said about that when he said, when he talked about the law, he said, you know, a lot of those things, we all know them. We, you know, you know, you're not supposed to kill anybody. But he said, I wouldn't have ever even known that I wasn't supposed to covet. That it was wrong for me to do that with some, with, with, I mean, to just desire all the other stuff. So all the people witnessed the thunderings and the lightnings and the flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood far off. Then they said to Moses, so somewhere in the, this, he comes back down, apparently, and then goes back up because there's a lot more that happens regarding the rules. These 10 basic rules happen. They said to Moses, and I don't know if this is later on, he said, you speak with us and we'll listen to you, but don't let God speak us to us because we're afraid we might die. Mm -hmm. And Moses said to the people, don't fear, for God's come to test you and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. He said, you're supposed to fear God a little bit, but don't fear coming to him. He said, respect him, respect that he's God. Uh, that way you won't sin anymore. So the people stood afar off so that they were supposed to come up close to the mountain, but they get afraid and they, they move far away. 
Moving far away is not a good move. And we'll see that in a couple in a few chapters. So the people stood far off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. And the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, You've seen that I've talked with you from heaven. You shall not make anything to be with me, gods of silver, gods of gold. You shall not make for yourself. Wonder why he's telling them this. Don't make gods of gold. An altar of earth you shall make for me. So you can you can mound up some dirt in order to put the to, to make a fire and, and burn and do your offering there, your sheep and your auction. In every place where I record my name, I'll come to you and I will bless you. And if you make me an, but if you make me an altar of stone, 25, you shall not build it of hewn stone, for if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. It's huh. amazing. Hmm. That's Another brick in the wall. I'm, I wonder if this is why God told them to make a tabernacle to begin with and resisted building the temple is because those are 40-foot blocks cut square and they're obviously they're cut to fit together. Um, but, he, but he says, if you're going to make an altar and you're making a stone, just, it's just going to be round rocks you just, or whatever shape the rocks are. Don't don't hammer them and chisel them and make them into something. Why? Because by golly, if you start carving on it, eventually you make one and you make some curlicues on it. And then you turn the curlicues into birds. And then you start worshiping the birds. That that's why. Don't don't mess with it. Nor this is funny, nor shall you go up steps to my altar that your nakedness may not be exposed on it. So they didn't. They weren't wearing underwear. Everybody wore dresses, and he, God didn't want to see up their dress. <laughs> it's interesting. Some of the sin involved that gets happens in the Bible is just incidental nakedness. And now people have been naked. I mean, I'm pretty sure not a single soul in here takes a bath with their clothes on or shower. <laughs> So there's nakedness has happened all through the years, but trouble often comes from being naked. Remember, that's how um, Ham got in trouble after the flood as he saw his father's nakedness. And We have a nudist colony at Stroud. <laughs> oh, my God. How do you know? Are you kidding me? They we won't be part of them. <laughs> that's funny. I, the first thing she says, we haven't been there. We haven't been there, but... No, when I was Ministerial Alliance president, yeah, they, they wanted, wanted to join. come over and join. And I had to write a letter and tell them they wasn't allowed to. And they received it, which the Holy Spirit inspired me to write the letter to them. And, you know, so, but anyway, yeah, we have a nudist colony. It's between Deep Pew and, and Stroud. Well, I could have lived without knowing that. I think, but, um, thank you for letting me know. We won't ever nope. turn down that road. No, sure. no, no pants. No I'll, I'll stay away from there. And if I should get a letter about wanting to join the ministerial alliance, I'll be, I'll be war forewarned. When I had joint custody of my son, I was out there in the Stroud Lake area. We oh no! <laughs> well, we came upon that. Refuge camp they had, you know, but it wasn't the news colony. It's some kind of camp that they have up there with cabins. And I told Christopher, I said, you know, Chris, I said, there's a bunch of people up here somewhere that go camping without their clothes. Why would they do that? <laughs> I said they're they're different. Uh, he said we we want we need we need to leave, Dad. <laughs> we need to get away from these guys. That is they're Good different. That that was very charitable of you to describe them that way, and I appreciate you doing that. But uh, okay, well, I told you that, that I know how to speak it publicly. I know. Um, Twenty ver. Uh, well, that was chapter 20, yeah. verses 21 through 31, is all the laws, the details of how... Uh, we've got these 10 that cover it all. Jesus breaks that down to two later on. Yeah. Um, even in Leviticus, it gets broken down a little bit into... Even though there's 
it gets very detailed and then it comes back. Like a lot of the stuff like uh, the fifth through the tenth law are covered by love your neighbor as yourself. That's actually in Leviticus. It's not just in the New Testament. Um, and we'll see that later on. But these next, 20, these next 11 chapters deal with the details of the law and, and their interaction with Yahweh. And uh, so Moses ends up being up there a long time getting all these details down. Um, this is called in some places the Decalogue or the Ten, um, the Covenant Code, it's called by a lot of people. Some theologians talk about being Hammurabi's Code. Have you all ever heard of that? You yeah. may have heard of it in school. The Hammurabi Code is usually referred to, uh, supposedly it was written in about 1750 B.C. 1450 is when Moses got this law, according, if you add all the numbers up right. Uh, So it's around the same time as the Hammurabi Code, or when they think it came out. It's so close, but some people say that this is developed from Hammurabi. But it's important, the very first verse in chapter 20 says, and God spoke all these words. It didn't didn't come from some other. Moses didn't invent it and say, you know, we're going to be a people and we got to have some laws and let's make them simple. Let's just make them 10. That didn't happen. God said, these are the laws. And some of the laws that in the way God writes them, that we get in the rest of Exodus aren't like any laws that were recorded in the East, Near East, Far East, or anywhere else for centuries, even millennia. For thousands of years, there was nothing like these laws that protected people in a way, protected all people, without, without regard to who was rich and who was born with a certain name or whatever. Um, as we look a little bit further I'm going to draw out a few where it says regardless of who you are whether you're a foreigner or and whether you're a woman or a man or or any of those things where distinctions are even drawn to this day in the in the Middle East that that the same law doesn't apply to men as applies to women but that's the way it is in in uh, and what we have, God's law that he gave to Moses. So we're going to look at that as we continue on. This didn't come from somewhere else. This did not come from anywhere else God no. said these words. All right? That's important. Let me pray for us. Thank you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for giving us understanding. And I pray that in all of this study, it's not to develop our intellect in any way. It's to develop our understanding of who you are. And that it is your revelation of yourself to us. You revealing yourself as God to us. And the more we understand it, the more we know you and, and uh, can operate according to that understanding. Knowing that you care for us uh, and that we're not fearful like the children of Israel were. Because we, we want to be a faithful people to you with the same inheritance that those, those children had. That we are a priest nation. That, we, that we're your people. Um, that we are the present day people of God as the church. So bless us in that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.